Welcome to the Willow Ridge Sermons Podcast. This is where you can find audio from Sunday morning messages and more. Make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss future episodes, and thanks for listening. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to join me in Genesis chapter 24. As you turn there, uh, today is a Super Bowl Sunday. I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, so I don't really have a heart affection toward either one of the teams that are there. But I've had several people ask me this morning who, who I'm pulling for. Um, and I, I'm pulling for San Francisco. Uh, for, for I think Kansas City's going to win. But I'm pulling for San Francisco. Grayson's a San Francisco fan, so I'm pulling for them. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just do a quick survey, because I think this will say a lot about the makeup uh, of our church, all right? So I'm going to give you four options this morning of who you're pulling for, all right? So, so show of hands. I'm not going to tell you what they are. You just got to go through, all right? Number one, raise your hand and leave it up in the air if you are going to pull for the San Francisco 49ers. All right. There we go. That's, that's good. That's good. Put your hands down. Raise your hand if you're on that bandwagon of Kansas City Chiefs. Some of you, some of you, or legitimately, legitimately, Mike Morgan. (laughs) Raise your hand if you don't care. There's a fourth. Raise your hand if you're pulling for Taylor Swift. (laughs) Now here's what's, all right, there's... I have the beauty of seeing some things that you can't see. Two observations, all right? Observation number one, for the most part, for the first three, people kind of raise their hand like this. But there's a lady in the back row, I'm not gonna say her name. That hand went up like this for Taylor Swift. There's also a husband to my right who raised his hand for Taylor Swift and got a nudge from his wife at the same time with that. Whatever you do, I hope you guys have a good time, and I hope it doesn't ruin everybody's night uh, for whatever, whatever it comes up with. I'm, I'm kind of more there with the I don't care. I'm just there for the commercials, right? Well, what we got this morning is, is you know, it'll be, uh, for, for those of you who are going to watch, whether you've been invited to a, a party, uh, so you're just going for the fellowship, or if you're, if you're passionate about it, today, uh, traditionally in our culture, has been a day uh, of, of sports, of football. Football, of, of all the things that culminate into to, to taking place. I, I did find it uh, interesting that, that Travis uh, Kelsey's mom was interviewed um, this week and asked, as she's got a, a box seat that, that Travis Kelsey has for her at all Kansas City home games and, and most Kansas City away games. And the mom was asked if she was going to have a box seat from her son for the Super Bowl. And in all seriousness, the mom said this, no, I can't afford it, but I think his girlfriend can, right? (laughs) So mom's holding out for the box seat that's there. But today, and maybe some of you are, you're, you're intrigued by the love story. You're intrigued about Taylor Swift and, and Travis Kelsey. And that's your reasoning for watching it tonight. And here's what I'm gonna say, that's okay, that's okay. 
What, what I think is neat today is, as we're, as we're here on a day where we're largely, I, I bet uh, there's a lot of pastors that are starting off their message with a reference to the Super Bowl. But in Genesis chapter 24, we're, we're going to read a love story. And this is a love story, I, like when you read through it, it, this isn't a Nicholas Sparks, this is not a Hallmark, this is, this is not a love story that could be written by anyone else other than God. This is a love story where we see the hand of God at work and moving, and, and, and what we want to do is, is dive into this and, and draw from it. Like, what do you have for us in this? I think it's reasonable to say that what we want God to do is that we want to know God's story for our life. We want God to, to, to write our story. But what tends to happen in my life probably tends to happen in your life, and, and I know that it happens in the life of, of those that we see from, from Scripture. It, it's this, that knowing that there's a story, we want to choose our own story. We want to choose our own path. We want to choose our own narrative. It's been the battle that we've seen in humanity since Genesis 3. As we've studied back through the temptation of sin, the temptation to take things in our own hands, the temptation of, of playing this out in our own way. And, and no one, as we've read through so far in Genesis, knows this or we've seen this more in the life of Abraham. This has been his battle. Great moments of faith, great moments of sin, moments where he trusts in the plan of God, moment where he takes control of his own plans for himself, and, and everywhere in between. When you look at your life, and, and, and I look at my life, here's what, what I'm going to assume, and, and what I hope, and, and honestly, what, what I believe. For, for those of us who profess Jesus Christ, who, who follow him, he is our Lord and Savior. I, I think this is what your life, for the most part, what looks like mine, is that we are on this uh, spiritual trajectory of maturity. We, we desire to be, we're, we're longing to be, we're, we're working in, in that process. God's working in our lives. And, and as we grow day in and day out to, to love and, and trust him more with our lives, we begin to filter the decisions we make, decisions that deeply affect us. And I hope we ask ourselves this question, God, what is your will for my life? I hope that's not a once-in-the-lifetime question you ask yourself. I hope that's not a, a, a once-a-year question you ask yourself. I, I do hope it's a continual question that you're asking yourself as you're going through the decisions that you make, the plans for your future on what you're going to do, that you ask God, like, like, could you share with me, could you communicate with me, what is your will for my life? I know if I were to give you the top five reasons that people want to talk to me about spiritual things, it is in the desire to know the answer to this question. But what is God's will for my life? How, how can I know God's will for my life? And if I were to ask you, is this an easy question to answer? Most of you, legitimately so, would say that's a difficult question 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 
to ask. It's a difficult question to find. And what we're gonna look at is this, is see that there's great and powerful simplicity in knowing God's will for your life and me knowing God's will for my life. I think three misconceptions that we believe when it comes to knowing God's will, I, I think one is this, we can buy into the lie, number one, that it's impossible to know. Can we truly know what God's will is for my life? It is impossible for me in my level of spiritual understanding. It is impossible. Lie number two, I think that we can fall into. It is only through great difficulty and great searching and great seeking that I can know God's will for my life. Now, is there searching? Is there seeking? Is there there wrestling? Sure. But I think oftentimes knowing his will can be, can be more difficult than we, we make it. I think lie number three that we buy into is only those who we deem as more spiritually mature than us can know this. And then they must be the ones to tell us what it is for our life. We, we, we look at a, a, a person that we deem, that we think has got a closer relationship with God than we do. They're more spiritually mature. And, and I can't know, but, but maybe they can. And maybe they can answer these questions for me. Or, or number four, the lie that we fall into is, is this. Knowing God's will is going to be a continual guessing game, moving back and forth. It's, it's one random step after another. And there's no way that we can know for certain what God's will is for our life. And, and here, before we get into Genesis 24, which is a story only God can write. It's events that only God could lay out. Is, is this, knowing God's will for your life and for my life it's not as complicated as you and I have made it out to be. Knowing God's will for your life and my life is not as complicated as, as, as we've made it out to be. It, it's not impossible, it is possible. It's not random choices after another random choice. It's not dependent on the spiritual maturity of others. We can know God's will for our life and we can live in the goodness and the certainty of his will. Right. So let's look, start verse one through nine. I'm gonna tell you this, this is, this is a long chapter. We're gonna break it up into four different sections, okay? Genesis chapter 24, we're gonna get through all of it. Now it says this, verse one. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. 
And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angels before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you back, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. See, he didn't start off the love story the way that you might have thought that it would have. But here's what we can see in understanding and knowing God's will. Number one is this, knowing God's will is found in obedience to God's commands. Knowing God's will is found in obedience to God's command. Look back at verse three. Abraham prepares to send this servant. This is the servant that had authority to speak to all of the land, all of the possessions that Abraham had. He's a servant of great authority, specifically for a task to find a wife for Isaac, his son, the son of promise. But he gives him stipulations. The first stipulation is this, do not take from the Canaanites, instead choose one from my family. All right, a couple of things about this, all right? First, marrying someone from your own family was not uncommon during this time. We see this many times, happens all the way back to the, to the garden, all right? So let's just move past that. Um, Abraham was married to his half-sister, all right? Second, this is the important part. Abraham says, do not choose for my son a Canaanite woman. This would have been the people surrounding them. This would have been their neighbors, those that they're in contact with. This would not be sending someone on a long journey, but instead sending someone next door. Now, why is this important? Why is this so important to Abraham? And it is this, I just said this, Isaac is the son of the promise. All the way through of what God is guarding and protecting and what he has communicated to Abraham and his covenant since the beginning in Genesis chapter 12. Isaac is the son of the promise of what God is going to reveal as he calls, as he chooses, as he selects for himself a people and the lineage that will come from them leading all the way to Christ. Isaac will always be connected to the promise. But if you jump all the way back to Genesis chapter 9 with Noah and the issue that we find in Genesis 9 with Noah and his sons and the descendants of Noah, we see that in Genesis chapter 9, we see that the Canaanites are not the promised people. They're not the chosen people. They're not the selected people. Instead, they're the cursed people. And so what, what Abraham is saying to his servant is this. As we go forward with all that we do, it may be easier to stray from what we've been called to 
but we're going to stick to the promise. We're going to stick to the promise. No one God's will for your life is always going to be connected to sticking to the promise of who you are in Christ and who he's called you to be. The, the, the second stipulation he gives him, though, is the servant says, what if I find her and she refuses to come with me? Which I think is a reasonable response, right? Ladies, just imagine this all unfolding. Should I then go back and get Isaac and, and take him to her? And, and Abraham says what? He says, no, 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 no don't, don't do that. Do not take my son back there. The promise of God is connected with a people and with a place. And, and Abraham, just as he was unwilling to go back to bury his wife, what we read last week, he's not willing to allow the margin for the son of the promise to wander away from what God has for him. You see, here's what Abraham does when it comes to being obedient to God. Abraham takes the word of God to heart. Would it be easier to find a lady that's here? Sure. Would it be easier if we find one there just to have Isaac be a part of all of this that's there? Absolutely. But here's what we learn in God's word about obedience in the life of Abraham here is that obedience to God's commands for Abraham is not up for Abraham's interpretation. So many times what I find with you and I when we're trying to decide on what we should do is we are taking what is black and white in God's word, in his expectations for our lives, and we're sinfully trying to manipulate it to make it gray. To say that this is what I can do. When we think about the Satan's temptation of Eve in, in the garden, his temptation was not, here's what God said, his temptation was, did God really say? In taking of what's there and, and, and manipulated it. You know, Abraham in this could have said, it's too difficult to go back. It's too difficult of a journey. And instead, I'm going to be partially obedient to what we're going to do of what God's called us. Go find one who's friendly for us or send him back and see what we can get. But what Abraham knows and understands is that God's will for his life, God's will for his son, God's will for his people is not found in his interpretation of obedience, but in God's commands for him. And what this creates in you, what we're going to see, when we understand, when we trust, and we dive into obedience... God, this is what you said. This is what I'm going to believe. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to trust in the power of your spirit that you're transforming me into. What comes from this is a holy confidence. This is not the initial posturing of Abraham. But look back at verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. This is a man in a life of faith that has seen what taking matters into his own hands can give him. 
So next, we're going to start reading verse 10. We're going to read for a minute, all right? Start verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Like, let's just pause here. Like, I, I feel like we can hear the stress in this guy's life, you know? Lady after lady, don't know, don't know, don't know. God, show me this one that you have. Verse 14. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they had finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar to the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all of his camels. And the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Verse 22, then the camels, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Like I feel like there's some fingers crossed behind his back, you know? Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who was born to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty, both straw and fodder, and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. And as soon as he saw the ring and bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. 
He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave a straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I've said what I have to say. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and will prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And to who will say to me, drink, and I will drink for your camel, draw for your camels also. But let the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Verse 45, we're getting close, I promise. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly drew from her water from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, asked her, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethul, Nahor's son, whom Milcah born to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arm. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may return to the right hand or to the left. Bless you. All right. Here we go. Number two in knowing God's will. Knowing God's will is trusting in God's plan. Knowing God's will is trusting in God's plan. It, there, there's part of it for us when we look at obedience we think that obedience is to the rules. And that as I walk in obedience, then what I can then go and do is then do what I want to do. Operate in the gray, live in the area of uncertainty. 
But what we find when we look at Scripture is that we see that knowing God's will is not just obedience to what God has called us to, but it's trusting in God's plans. God's plans are covered in both his promises and his providence. All the way back, 30 minutes ago in verse 12, right? The servant says, if he's going to be successful, and, and like, this is seemingly an impossible task, right? I mean, just think about this. Go to a place that's far away, to a people who you're unsure of. I mean, he didn't have anything to go by, nothing. And bring back a lady from my son who's willing to come. The only way in verse 12 that this plan is going to be successful is if God grants it success. God grants it success. What if we prayed as we took steps in faith that God, if this is your will for my life, may it succeed and God, if this is not your will for my life, may it fail. That's faith. Faith is willing to endure failure if where we are is where God doesn't have us to be. Because all failure is is just understanding in that point that I need to redirect what I've been doing. This servant says, God, I, for this to be successful... It's not about me simply finding a woman who's willing, but it's if, Lord, you, you granted success. You know, and trusting God's plan for, for, for you in your life is, is also trusting in God's standard for success. God, what do you have for us in understanding the providence of God? God, that all of these things that happen and exist are still in your hand. Lord, and you're in control. And as you make the tough decision, as you seek what God may have, as you look to take that step, God, it's all in your hand. God, may it be success if it's from you. And Lord, and may it fail if it's not. You know, trusting in God's plans is about trusting in the commandments, in the commands, and trusting in the outcome, but also trusting in the details. You know, I think we look at step one, and we look at conclusion 10, and somewhere in the journey in between there of the details, we think that we're going to work those out. But Romans 8 tells us, right, that, that God works all things for the good for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that God is a God of, of, of the details. That God is working and moving while we sleep, while we're awake, while we speak, and while we're quiet, that, that God is, is working in those, that, that, that God oftentimes in, in our willingness and in our unwillingness is working and moving in all outcomes and situations and, and the details that lie there in between. And it's trusting in that. 
I mean, what took this passage of Scripture so long is because this servant is saying, this is how the Lord led. This is what happened. This is how what's confirmed that the Lord has led. And in fact, in verse 15, that's what he says. The Lord has led me. When Jesus called his disciples to become disciples, what did he say? Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Jesus gives us the plan. Follow me. What, what amazes me when I hear stories from others and when I look at stories of my own life where it was very clear and evident of God's plan and God's purpose for my life, there's a phrase that comes out often and it is this. It was very clear that this is where God was leading a few weeks ago, I, I was talking to a couple of guys about my, my call uh, all, 10 and a half years ago to come here and, and be the senior pastor. And I said, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the first church that, that I had, had spoken with about becoming the senior pastor, but in the other churches, there were just things that were unclear. There was things that were uncertain. But as I walked through and, and, and pray, God, would you make clear and would you make evident as we walk through this in unity with my wife of walking through in unity unity and discussion with the search team and the elders that were a part of it. What I can tell you is having never been a senior pastor before of not fully knowing what to understand, what to expect as we walk through this journey, what was happening throughout all this is God made clear that this is where God was leading. And we trust that. There's confidence for this servant to stand all day at a spring and say, no, God, this is, this is where you're leading. This is where you're leading. And then when Rebecca came, he said, this is where you've led. This is where you've led. And I think oftentimes we try to take the matters into our own hands. But, but here's what I'll say to you. In your plans, stop trying to lead God and start letting God lead you. Start, stop trying to lead God and start letting God lead you. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, you know what? It means you may have to wait. We don't like to wait. One of the commands over and over, Old Testament and New Testament, is God calling his people to wait. Wait. Sometimes in order to have the great confidence in where God is leading, what you and I have to do is practice something that is enabled and empowered through the power of the Holy Spirit within us to be patient and to wait. What it may mean is that it may mean that you need to turn in a different direction. You may have to head down a different path than the one that you've gone down. 
You've maybe head down a path that you've cleared out, that you've laid a foundation for, you've gotten all the bumps out of the road, you've poured time and energy and effort into this path that you've determined, and then all of a sudden you realize, whoa, 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 there's a lot of great things on this path, but God's not on this path. And you may have to head into a different direction. Or, 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 or three, you may have to go. You may have to go. You know, Jesus, when he calls those first disciples that had just got done fishing, with all that was there, Jesus says, come and follow me. And then he went. And sometimes to follow Jesus, what it means is when he goes, guess what? We got to go too. We got to go too. The question I have for you, are, are, are you trying to take God or is God trying to take you? Right? Some examples that we, that we see in, in our lives where we hear this. There, there's two Two that I hear, right? One that, that I hear um, from, from people who, who are married. It's probably the most common one that I get about God's will for their life. And, and then the second from, from single people. So you can probably guess where the second one's going, right? N n number one, um, how about a new job? Is this God's will for my life? Here's what I found that, that we do. When we look down and we see the benefits, it's more money, it's more retirement, it's better advancement. God must be in that, right? There's disconnect from family. There's disconnect from church. So maybe God isn't leading in that direction. With some of our single individuals, the beauty of the significant other, right? We got the boxes. We're attracted to them. That's number one, let's be honest, right? Number two, our personalities align. We've got similar hobbies. They're successful. They're driven. They make us happy. They check all the boxes. We're good when we're together. We fit. We get all the feelings, right? But their relationship with God is lacking or non-existent then I'd probably say that they may, you may be really attracted to them. They may have a lot of money in the bank. There may be a lot of compatibility that's there, but I would be willing to bet that God isn't leading in that direction. And for us, maybe we need to stop trying to take God where God hasn't been and, and where God won't go. So the servant explains why he's here. At the very first in the encounter, he explains, he says, he, he, he sells the idea he shares the call and shares the idea. God has greatly blessed Abraham, and then he's blessed Isaac. Blessed with money, with influence, with power. He's a man of God who desires, desires to obey. He has led me here. He has heard my prayer, and God has answered it with Rebecca. And then over and over and over again, he proves how. But that's only part of the equation. She's got to be willing to go. And probably more importantly, if you're sitting here, sitting beside your daughter this morning, like, oh, we got to see if we're going to let her go. Verse 50. 
Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord had spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while. At least 10 days. After that, she may go. Let's pause here for a minute. My dad heart gets that, you know? Like, let's, she can go, just give us some time. Verse 56. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, our sister may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him all right number three no one god's will no one god's will is being prepared to say yes no one god's will is being prepared to say yes let me ask you this question are you preparing yourself today to say yes to god tomorrow are you preparing yourself today to see yes to God tomorrow? Rebecca was going to get water. A task that she would have done every day. There was nothing special about it. There was nothing different about that day. She was just going to do what she always would do. And then she meets a man and her whole world is turned upside down her family when they see this they acknowledge god is in this but could you give her 10 days for us now what reason we, we don't know we don't know maybe they wanted to throw her a party maybe they wanted to spend some time together maybe they just wanted to, to, to some time to process all that had taken place maybe they just were like maybe we can rethink this you know we don't know but look at what rebecca says she says no if this is of god then we go if this is of god then we go how do you prepare yourself today to say yes to god tomorrow by saying yes to God today. By saying yes to God today.
Knowing and desiring God's will for your life is not centered around the big major milestones that we circle on the calendar. Knowing and living in God's will for your life is knowing and trusting God's will for your life in the mundane things like drawing water down by a spring and saying yes to God. Yes to God. What stands out to me about Rebecca here is her maturity. There's no way, there's no way that this encounter with Abraham's servant was the first time she had said yes and trusted God. There's no way. Because you don't leave all of that behind to make the decisions to go if your life hasn't been marked by faithful yeses. Back story of Jesus with the disciples. As they ministered with him, what did Jesus do? He gave them smaller capacities to serve and then entrusted them with more and more and more. Talking to somebody this morning, over the last year, we've, we've gone through a, a big change in the Bradbury house. I've talked about it a lot on the stage. It's the, it's the change of the Bradbury kids driving, right? Here's what I, parents who, who have teenagers that drive, you know this. Those of you who don't have teenagers to drive, you, you don't know this, so let me share it with you. In order for them to drive, you're gonna give up something. You know what you're gonna give up? Money. Money. It's expensive, man. It's expensive for them to drive. Cars are expensive. Gas is expensive. Tires are expensive. My speakers don't work right or expensive. Like it's expensive for kids to drive. And no one, no one told me how insurance, how expensive car insurance was, right? Forget about free medical insurance. I want free car insurance is what I'm talking about, you know? That's expensive. But here's what you get. Time. You get time. Saturday morning, Aaron and I woke up. We woke up early that morning and Emma's got dance. And our Saturday morning rotation is typically, do we take to dance for for the carpool or do we take Emma to carpool? And I looked at Aaron, she's like, well, which one of us is gonna go this morning? And I said, neither. She can drive herself, right? We got this, she's got this, we're paying for it already. Go, go, insurance is gonna cost what it costs, go. But here's the deal, before my kids drove a car, before they drove a car, they had a tricycle. After they had a tricycle, they had a scooter. After they had a scooter, they had a bike. Eventually, because we're kind of rednecks from the south, they rode on John Deere lawnmowers and golf carts and four wheelers, right? They did all of those things. And when they were able to drive illegally and legally, we drove in parking lots. And then once they got that license, we took them down side roads. And then we moved them from side roads to main roads. And then we got them to interstates. 
We kept moving on and moving on and entrusting them with more and more within this. Here's the deal. Spiritually speaking, you and I want God to entrust us, figuratively speaking, with the interstate level of his will. But you and I have not been faithful with the tricycle he first gave us. And the steps for us, we see Rebecca make this monumental decision in her life. No, I'm not waiting, I'm going. How did she make that decision? Because it was step by step by step of faithfulness. A group of disciples who ran, who ran when Jesus got arrested. And most of who died the death of a martyr because of steps and steps of faithfulness, of knowing God's will and saying yes. Her confidence was not in the servant, was not in Abraham, was not in Isaac. Her confidence was in God and in a life of serving him, she had built her faithfulness on him. So how does this love story conclude? Verse 61. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Verse 62. Now Isaac had returned from Berlahiroi and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted his eyes and saw. And behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. And she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Number four, knowing God's will. Knowing, and I added this, I apologize, it's not on the screen. Knowing and doing God's will is experiencing the peace of God. I, it could have gone bad, right? It didn't. It didn't. And we see this beautiful picture of these two strangers who have come together. Another question to get asked often is, but I want to live in and experience the peace of God. In my life as a believer, what I've come to know and to see is this, that the peace of God is the most strongly experienced and lived in at the center of his will. The closer I am to the center of his will, the greater the peace 
is in my life. They met. It's magical. They get married. Everything's great, right? Well, well, here's the thing about Genesis 24. If you were here with us last week, we talked about Sarah's death. So you would think that Genesis 24, since it's after 23, happens after Sarah has died. But that's not necessarily the case. Genesis chapter 24 may have actually happened after Sarah's death or the events of this unfolded during her, her, her death. But what we do see, what, what I think that we can draw from here, what I think is great and powerful is that if you've experienced that, as we've talked about, that, that losing someone close to us, that the means of comfort that God would give Isaac was not found in his meditations, in his wealth, in his servants, or even in his father Abraham, but in the grace of God where Isaac would find comfort was in his wife, was from her, what she would give him in the person of who she is. You see, in Christ, you and I have peace with God. The Bible tells us that, that we're the enemies of God before relationship with Christ. And, and peace with God is, is twofold, that, that Christ in his death on the cross restores that relationship and we're no longer considered enemies, but we're considered family and, and that peace is brought there. But, but also there's not only the peace with God, but there's the peace of God. That in Christ, what, what we have is the peace of God. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which, you, uh, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Philippians 4.6-7 Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let's pause. So when the chaos and the craziness of life happens, when you don't know where to turn and what to do, the command, do not be anxious about anything. Verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is it. My mom's dead. My world's turned apart, but I have the peace of God in these moments. I'm uncertain of what to do. I'm uncertain of where to turn, but the peace of God that is found, and it is found the closest at the center of his will. The peace of God is found in trusting the promises, the nature, and the character of God. You see, we think the peace of God is found in the removal of stress and difficulty of life. But the peace of God is this, that in the midst of the stress and the difficulty of life, knowing that God will never leave you nor forsake you, knowing that he is in control and knowing that he works all things for the good of those who love him. That's where peace is found. That's the peace of God. My hope and prayer for all of us is this. Number one, before you can know the peace of God, you have to have peace with God. 
And that today, if you do not have peace with God, that today you'll admit that you're a, a sinner, that you'll believe in the Jesus of the Bible, of who the Bible says he is, that he died for your sins on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose three days later from the grave, and that he ascended to heaven, and then that is where he is, and he will turn and take back all that is his for himself. And that you will confess today that Jesus is Lord and Savior. But I hope for all of us, those that have the peace with God, that today, yes, do I want your difficulty to go away? Absolutely. But more importantly than that, I want you to know that the peace of God is found in the person of God, and he's with you. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We're not an easy, not a short, not a, not a brief passage of Scripture, but Lord, a, a powerful passage that points us to remind us of your promises and your providence. Lord, I pray that we would seek to trust you Trust to follow your commands. Trust to know that you're in control. And Lord, trust that you'll determine the success that we long for. Lord, I know that there are so many in here who, who, who wrestle with that. Lord, they think they're unqualified to know, unqualified, Lord, to do. And Lord, that we would see that we have all that we have in Christ to obey you, to follow you, to know your will for our life, and to live confidently in that. God, as we prepare to respond to you in worship, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation. God, I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, who, who is, has been unwilling or, or, or desiring to take a step of faith and, and trust you in a specific area in your life, God, that today would be that day. Or may our heart's desire be simply to say yes to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to check back next week for another episode. In the meantime, you can visit us at willowridgechurch.org or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.